0: You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. I just need to see it because I forgot what it was. Feasting with Jesus. I forgot what it was because literally Ryan asked me right before I say, he said, well, he says is there a title for Sunday school? And I'm like, yeah. And I said, feasting with Jesus. That is psychedelic. Okay. Um... But I want to start with Luke 24, verse 27, just to set the stage that some of you will be familiar with, but remember, when you're teaching and preaching the Bible, and this is for those of you that would teach, and this goes to even if you're just sitting down trying to teach one person, be real careful about assuming things, and one of the things that I really try to do as a teacher and a preacher is try to avoid assuming all the time. In other words, assuming that, you know, you know this. Oh, you've heard this story before, uh, John 24, 27, uh, you know this stuff already, uh, you've heard about all this, and so you try to teach and preach as if somebody's never heard it before, even if I'm teaching to Ralph that's heard it all. All right, uh, Luke 24, verse number 27 is where I want to begin. One of the most exciting things that I, I hope that when we get to heaven, I don't know exactly how it'll be, but I've always, I've always imagined been, you know, getting to heaven and being able to go back and watch certain clips of history. I don't know what it will be like, but it would be awesome if I could just go back and say, hey, I want to go back and see what it was like on the road to Emmaus. I just want to hear, I just want to hear that message and who knows, maybe the moment that I see Jesus and get to heaven, my heart will be so full and have a greater experience than, than these guys ever had and, and probably that's what will be the case. But regardless of that, uh, I, this has to be one of the most amazing things, like, man, if I could have been there. And here's what it says, Luke 24, 27, this is the, uh, the This is the resurrected Christ walking with these disciples in the wrong direction, heading away from Jerusalem. But says this, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, can I just stop a second? I just thought about something when I was saying that. These disciples were on their road to Emmaus. And again, this wasn't some of the twelve. These are just people that were followers of Jesus. They were on their road to Emmaus. Jesus said that you should tarry in Jerusalem. That's what he told his followers. But, the, but these people were going the wrong direction. And, and I just, I just, when I said that they were going the wrong direction, I just had to pause and say it's pretty cool. Because guess who's walking with them going the wrong direction? Jesus is. Can you imagine you going the wrong direction and Jesus walking with you? Now he's not walking with you to escort you to that wrong place because if you study the chapter, what you find out is he's walking with them to try to get them turned around going the right direction. But I'm glad that Jesus doesn't just stop the moment I turn in the wrong direction and be like, well, you big idiot, there you go, and then we're lost. I'm glad Jesus came and walked and tenderly spoke with these people and tenderly addressed where they were at in their walk. But he goes on to say that he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The things concerning himself. Now that would have been a lot of things. Now among those things, I imagine certainly among those things would have been the Old Testament Jewish feast. The Jewish feast of the Old Testament. I am not starting a new series today on the Feast. Years ago, we preached a series on Wednesday night about the Feast. And I'll probably do that again sometime because it's really, really good. Because again, it points all to Jesus Christ. But what I am going to try to do over the next 20 minutes is just give you a little synopsis, just a little uh, overview, a little summary of the feast, a little nutshell about how these feasts point to the Lord Jesus Christ. Leviticus 23 is where God presents to us the feast. Leviticus 23, God presents to the children of Israel the feast that He wants them to celebrate and observe. The word for feast literally means appointed time appointed times when you look at the feast they weren't all you know throw down eat a big meal feast some of them were really they were they were celebrations they were uh times of remembrance god has carefully planned and orchestrated the timing and sequence of the seven feasts of the old testament the seven jewish feasts to reveal to us a very special story. The seven annual feasts of Israel were spread over seven months of the Jewish calendar, at set times appointed by God, and they're still celebrated and observed by Jews today. But the but for both Jews and Gentiles who have placed their faith in Christ, uh, that. Jesus, that these special days demonstrate the work and the redemption through God's Son. And we'll see that uh, here quickly. A couple more things in the way of introduction. The first four of the seven feasts occur, occur during the springtime. And uh, we'll see these in a minute, but they're Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, and weeks. W E E K S. And they all have already been fulfilled in the New Testament. The final three the Day of Atonement and Tabernacles will occur during they they occur during the fall. All within a fifteen day period. Now, again, in a nutshell, I'll give you just the prophetic significance of each of the seven Levitical feasts of Israel, both in their prophetic fulfillment in Jesus personally, and there's application to us in Christ. But I'll just give these to you quickly. The very first one is the Feast of Passover. The Feast of Passover. Uh, What do you think about when you think about the Feast of Passover, when you think about Passover? Yeah, the crucifixion. Uh, Anything else you think of when you hear about the Passover, the Jewish Passover? Yeah, there you go. The sacrifice of the lambs in Exodus. That's where it all began because uh the, the the blood of the lamb was shed and the, the blood was then uh, the blood was shed then the blood was applied and then uh the, the 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 death angel would pass over because the Lord would protect the homes where the blood was applied so the, the the I will pass over you as the the hymn writer said the passover you find that in Exodus 12 in Leviticus 23 verse 5 is when you get God telling them to continually have this feast. The, the Passover pointed to the Messiah as our Passover. Uh, John 1.29 is where John the Baptist said, The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. John 1.36, And looking upon Jesus as he walked, John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God. First Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. If you had any question at all to whether or not... I'll look that one up for me if you wouldn't mind. Uh, oh, he's looking them all up. They're doing great back there. They didn't get this outline before time. 1 Corinthians 5, 7. If you had any question to, as to whether or not these feasts really had anything to do with Jesus or not, uh, you can see it in these verses, but in 1 Corinthians 5, 7 actually says that christ is our passover christ is our passover why because his blood was shed for our sins jesus was crucified during the time that the passover was observed And again, you don't have to turn to these, but if you want to just mark them down for future reference, Mark 14 verse 12 lets us know that the Passover was being observed during the time that Jesus was being crucified. In fact, uh, there's evidence that suggests that while Jesus was being uh, sacrificed on the cross, the lambs were being sacrificed. It's also worth noting that the, the lambs that were brought up for sacrifice they were raised in a little shepherd town called Bethlehem. Uh, that's where the lambs were born and raised that would be offered for the sacrifice. The Passover was observed. Christ, of course, is a lamb without spot and without blemish. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. Because His life was completely free of sin. As the first Passover marked the Hebrews' release from Egyptian slavery... So the death of Christ marks our release from the slavery of sin. So the Feast of Passover in the Old Testament teaches us much about Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God. The next feast that I want to mention that would also take place during the spring was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. You find this in Leviticus 20, 23, verse 6. And John six thirty-five. here's what Jesus said. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Jesus was the bread of life. He was the bread, he said, that came down from heaven. Just like the, you think about the manna, how the manna came down from heaven. Well, Jesus said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And what this points to is Jesus in the flesh. Jesus taking on a, the, the a body so that he might be able to die. It talks about his sinless life because in the Bible, leaven is always a picture of sin or deceitfulness but Jesus has no sin, no deceitfulness. So, he is the bread of life and Jesus said very plainly that he is the bread of life. And the, the, the next feast I want to mention is the Feast of First Fruits. Leviticus 23 mentions this feast, the Feast of First Fruits. This was a, a celebration because, again, this was, um, well, we'll see what it says. It pointed to the Messiah's resurrection as the first, root, first fruits of the, righteous, of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Jesus was resurrected on the day of first fruits. So think about how amazing this is. So the Passover lamb, when the Passover lambs were dying, on the Passover, the Lamb of God was being killed. The Lamb of God was on the cross. During the, during the day of first fruits, uh, Jesus was resurrected because that's the picture of the first fruits. As a matter of fact, in the, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, and I'm going to turn over there, 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, that Jesus Christ is our first fruits. Because he was the first one to be raised from the dead. He was the first one to not to be resurrected, because he rose he raised others from the dead, but he was the first one to rise and never to die again. First Corinthians fifteen, verse twenty. The Bible says, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. Verse 23, but every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward they that are come, they that are Christ at his coming. The way first fruits would work is that literally they would take the very first fruits of the harvest and they would and first of all, they would wave them to the Lord. They, they would bring up to rejoice and to celebrate that which God has brought forth. And then they would offer that. But the symbol of the firstfruits is, this is the first of a lot more to come. And Jesus is the, was the first of a lot more of us who are to come, who are to be resurrected as well. So the, the, the Feast of Firstfruits is a picture of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The next one that we'll look at, before we go, this is the, all the spring ones. Uh, the next one we'll look at is the, uh, the Feast of Weeks, or otherwise known as the Feast of Pentecost. You find it mentioned in Leviticus 23, 16. This occurred 50 days after the beginning of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and pointed to the great harvest of souls and the gift of the Holy Spirit for both Jew and Gentile. Who would be brought into the kingdom of God during the church age? Now, Pentecost. When you think of Pentecost, what do you think about? Honestly, what do you think about? <laughs> I think of tongues. I, I said it uh, here. I'm a Baptist. And I, you say Pentecost, I'm like, oh yeah, that charismatic crowd, right? Because uh, they get they call themselves Pentecostals, uh, right? But uh, but but I, I think of that too. But, you know, I hope with the better knowledge that that won't be the first thing I think about. The Feast of Pentecost, folks, was a feast that was observed by the Jews year after year after year, 50 days after the, uh, after the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So, and, and again, so. but what, it's, what it just simply was is it was a time of rejoicing in the harvest. And, and it's interesting, by the way, too, because we talked about Jesus Christ being the first fruits that rose from the dead. Uh, something that a lot of people don't realize is that Jesus Christ, after his resurrection, we have biblical evidence that immediately after Jesus' resurrection, that he went and offered his blood on the altar in heaven. find that in Hebrews. But then he didn't ascend and stay there until how many days later. After his resurrection. Forty days. So for, it was Jesus Christ stayed on this earth in his resurrected body for forty days. And what that was doing is it was leading up to the time of Pentecost. It was leading up to the time of this, the, the, the launching of this church. Uh, and then the next feast, that, that was the last feast of the spring. Now, the next feast that would take place in October, generally, the seventh month, the the Feast of Trumpets. You read this in Leviticus 23, verse 24. Many believe that this day points to the rapture of the church. Because you can see these, right? Uh, You've got the the Passover, the Lamb, the, the death of the Lamb. You've got, you've then got the uh, let me get them in order here. Then you've got, you've got the Passover, then you've got unleavened bread, which again speaks of Him coming down uh, to man, coming down in human form. You've got the, fir- the, the first fruits, where the, which is a picture of the resurrection according to 1 Corinthians 15. And you've got the mention of Pentecost. That's, the, that's a reference to the church that stays behind and continues to do the work of Christ. So prophetically speaking, you can see Christ's work in these feasts. Well then all the way up until October, uh, then you see, and here's the interesting thing about October. When is the Jewish New Year? Does anybody know that? When is the start of the Jewish New Year? Okay, that and, and I heard April uh, and then September is pretty close because it's September, October, uh right in there. And but you say, wait, what which is it? Because uh, the fact is, is that the Jews had two New Years because they had two calendars. They had two calendars that they celebrated. One calendar started with, on, uh, with the Feast of Trumpets uh, around uh, you know, the, the seventh month, which would have been in the fall, and this would have been the be- beginning of their civil calendar. Their normal year, this is when they, it was, it was their January 1st, if you will, all right? But then in Exodus 12, during the Passover, God says, this is going to be the beginning of days for you, because now you've got another start. It's like the second birth. You've had one birth, but you need to have two if you're going to know Christ, right? And it's the same way with the nation. He said, you've had one birth in a physical sense, and you've got a civil calendar, but the Passover signals a new birth, a new start. And that was their religious calendar. And that started with Passover. But their civil calendar started with the Feast of Trumpets. But here's the thing that's kind of cool. So you see the launching of the church at Pentecost. You see Jesus coming down from heaven. You see His death. You see His resurrection. Launching of the church. And then there's a long period of time that takes place. Then, all of a sudden, you hear a trumpet sound. You have the, tree, the Feast of Trumpets where the trumpet would sound. And the trumpet, the, the Feast of Trumpets, basically began the start of the, uh, the Day of Atonement. Now, the Day of Atonement, that would oftentimes be a day of mourning. It would be a day of, of getting right. And really, the Day of Atonement, in a prophetic sense, speaks of Jesus and His work with the nation of Israel during the Tribulation period when he's given them that opportunity to get right and many of them will get right the bible says they will look on him whom they pierced and they will turn to him because the day of atonement uh, anybody know a, a good way to describe the word atonement that's one of those that's one of those biblical words that uh, that we don't use every day atonement yeah melanie just said at 1 okay and cuz if, if you look at the word Y'all know where I come from, and here I am going to make fun of myself being dumb again, okay? But one, you know the way I learned atonement? Is you just look at the word. at one at one If you broke it up, you know, that's not the way you pronounce it. But at one Because what's to do? It puts us at one. What's, what's hap- what, where's the nation of Israel been for the last 2,000 years? Jewish people have been saved and are part of the church. That needs to be understood. Jewish believers are a part of the church. But as a nation, the nation of Israel has been separated from God for a long time. But what He's going to do is they're going to be brought, brought again to be at one with Him. The Feast of Atonement. And then that leads to probably the most joyous, without question I would say, the most joyous of all, the, the Feast. And that's the Feast of Tabernacles. To where they literally go down and uh, they, they would have to cut down branches and, bo- and trees and they would make like makeshift little booths and makeshift little houses but they would decorate them and they, they would put about three different kinds of leaves and, 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 and branches and everything all around there and for seven days they would camp out in these booths and they would remember and th- they would feast in these booths but they didn't just do that especially by the time the tabernacle came along in the temple, listen, they, they had these booths that they would camp in, and it would remind them of, of their time in the desert and their time when God had brought them out of Egypt and they were dwelling in tents. But it was a time of... But what they would do every single day, every morning, there would be... Well, let me get, back, let me get to the night. There would be sacrifices that would be offered daily, in, in the court in the court of women, in the temple, they had four ginormous candlesticks. And, I mean, to where what I read about, the priest would actually have to climb ladders to light them. these four huge candlesticks in the court of women that would just light it up at night. But what that would remind them of is it would remind them of the shekinah glory of God. It would remind them of the presence of God. It would remind them of a light that shines into darkness. But probably the the, the biggest thing about this thing, that they would do this every day, every morning, you would wake up out of your tent, they'd do this for seven days, you'd hear a trumpet sound. When the trumpet sound, it's time to party. You hear music, you hear people getting their fiddles out, and banjos out, and guitars out. I don't know if they, they didn't have all those back then. But people start getting their instruments. And they basically get together and they have a big singing, dancing parade as the priest, the trumpet sounds, and the priest walks out of the temple carrying a big old gold bucket. It's not a bucket. I've got a better term in my notes somewhere, but a big container. And, and down to the pool of Shilom he walks. With this, but he walks and he walks with a procession of people singing and praising the Lord all the way down. And he gets down there to that pool and uh, and he dips down into that pool of water and he says, "With joy, draw water from the wells of salvation." And the people would rejoice, and then he would carry that that water back to the temple again. It's the parade going again, man, singing and dancing and praising. And he gets to the temple, and when they get there, the people begin to sing songs. The priests walk around the altar one time, and then they pour that water out on the altar where the sacrifice was made. And once again, they rejoice, reminding themselves of the provision of God during the the wilderness and how God's going to take care of them and how uh, the the eternal provision of His uh, water The Feast of Tabernacles. And they they would literally, they would feast and party all day long. Into the night hours. Go to sleep in their booths. Next morning, boom, trumpet sounds again. Get the instruments going and let's go at it again. Day after day after day. I mean, it was just the most joyous time of the year. It was fun. It was a blast. But you know what it was symbolizing? It was symbolizing God being among His people. Because he, put, he came and was among them in the wilderness. Now here's the prophetic significance of the Feast of Tabernacles. There's coming a time when God will once again dwell among His people. And prophetically speaking, it's called the Millennial Reign, When Jesus comes and the Feast of Tabernacles will be prophetically uh, fulfilled when, when the Lord once again comes, and for a thousand years, man, it's going to be a time of joy with the Lord dwelling among His people. So that's a very, very, very quick uh, overview of the feast. I shared those with you uh, mainly because... Ryan, I started to look for my notes. <laughs> um, mainly because the message today in Nehemiah is going to be about when they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacle. So, uh, I just thought that would be good to give a little introductory lesson to some of the feasts there. All right? Um, all right. Well, let's be I appreciate you this morning. God bless you. Let's start back, right back up around 11. Make sure and make our guests feel uh, really welcome today. Thank you so much.